Our family of listeners is growing every week. Thanks for listening live and through all our digital broadcasting channels. Spread the word to your friends to join our weekly conversation. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions, our website, ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Michelangelo once said, The greatest danger for most of us is not that our aim is too high and we miss it, it's that, it's that our aim is too low and we reach it. Welcome to Christian Questions. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. You might say that ours is a long-term approach as we've been broadcasting the good news of the gospel for over 19 years. And I'm Jonathan, and that long-term different perspective has its basis in three things, godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue, always done in a politically free zone. Rick, today is our 998th broadcast, and we've talked the gospel with listeners on several talk radio stations throughout the eastern and central United States for many years. And we figured it was time to bring the good news to the whole world by way of podcasting, so here we are. We thank you for joining us today. This is a contact-friendly format, and we welcome your thoughts via email, website messages, Facebook, and our chat board. So, Jonathan, let's get started. I believe we have some unfinished business on the table. We do, Rick. Our question for this evening is, podcast is, how do you change your world, part two? And our theme text is found in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. All right. How do you change your world, part two? Last week, we began talking about what it takes to actually change the world around you, what it takes to not only have a dream for change, but to begin that process of change. We talked about Nehemiah a little-known figure in the Old Testament who not only had a ridiculously big dream for change, he worked the idea and recruited the masses to help him progress toward making that dream a reality. So today, we finish the story as we catalog the principles and techniques that Nehemiah used to accomplish what seemed impossible. Not only did Nehemiah achieve something magnificent, he also left clues and tools along the way for us to pick up on and use to apply to the changes that we want to affect in our own lives. So Jonathan, this is How Do You Change Your World, Part 2. And as we get started with this, folks, it is always our objective with each subject we choose to approach it in a biblical and relevant practical way. We search out the original context of the scriptures that we cite. We try to find their true meaning and combine those scriptures with the pressing issues of our day to give you something to really think about. I've got a great idea for change, Rick. Simply go to ChristianQuestions.com and click Listen Live for the live audio and chat room. Chat with fellow listeners around the world, and we may even include your comments on the air. All right, ChristianQuestions.com, get involved in chat. It's kind of a cool little uh, sub-world that goes on there during the podcast, so we'd like for you to join in if you can. So, Jonathan, we're going to be talking about Nehemiah again, and in this first segment, we've got to sort of catch up on what we were discussing uh, last week, because his story is, you you and I were talking before we got started here today, It, it really is an amazing story. It is. And there's parallels to our Christian walk yeah. with, with the strength that he had 
um, in his day. And we're going to get into all of that as we unfold that. But let's get started first with a with a soundbite from Dream motivational video from Matisus M. I'm not sure how to say that. Um, and, and Jonathan, we may have actually used pieces of this at some point in the past, but it's a powerful powerful tool of focus. Now look, a lot of what you're going to hear in this in this um these sound bites that we're going to use today um, are are set up to give us perspective. There there are business tools and things about that. They're talking about building a business or changing your life. We want to take the principles and apply them to our Christianity. So let's listen to these things with that in mind. And so let's get started at the beginning here. There's going to be a very interesting and important quote from Will Smith. And again, I think we've used this quote several times before because it really is very powerful. For those of you that have experienced some hardships, don't give up on your dream. Their rough times are going to come, but they have not come to stay. They have come to pass. Greatness is not this wonderful, esoteric, elusive, God-like feature that only the special among us uh, will ever taste. You know, it's something that truly exists in all of us. So simple thing. It's talking about greatness and the ability for greatness to be in all of us. And, and you know, Jonathan, one of the things that we talked about last week was everybody's not the same kind of person. So greatness will express itself in very different ways in different people. And, Good point. And we'll, we'll get to that as we unfold the story. But let's do a quick review of our story so far. Nehemiah lived about 100 years after the period of Israel's captivity uh, in which Cyrus, the Persian king, allowed Jews to go back to their land. And just a quick couple of lines from one of the commentators that we used last week, Jonathan. In Nehemiah's time, the Persian ruler was Artaxerxes, and Nehemiah was his personal cupbearer. Okay, now being a cupbearer, you think, oh, he just carries the, the, the cup around for the guy to drink from. But that was a really... Uh, imp- Good. Yeah, Rick, it's life and death. Many people were trying to kill the king with poison, and Nehemiah was that, that line of defense right before the king. Right, the, the final line of defense. If Nehemiah hands him the cup with the wine, it's good. That's right. So, you know, it's very important, very, very... Uh, um, a job full of great, great, great responsibility, obviously. So one of the things, Jonathan, that came out last week that was really powerful was the character of Nehemiah. And again, we're just going to do a quick review in this in this first segment here. In Nehemiah chapter 1, there were two really, real main points here. What's the, the first of the two points? Well, Rick, he was meticulous in ordering details which would indicate a man who paid very close attention to staying true to truth. And that sounds kind of weird, staying true to truth. But I, 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 I use that phrase purposely because Nehemiah was all about the truth of the matter. He wasn't about how things looked or how things felt. He was about the truth and the integrity required to stay right on target with truth. And if you read the book of Nehemiah, he had more names in the book of Nehemiah, Jonathan, that you could not pronounce, right? <laughs> That's for sure. I had to look them up and listen to them so I could practice <laughs> to try to get them halfway close. And we life. left out most of them. Believe me, we left out most of them. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> very meticulous, though. Very meticulous man. And that was important in, in the leadership, in changing the world. Nehemiah changed the world around him through his leadership and through God's overruling, you know, and, and it was really more through God's overruling 
and his overruling used Nehemiah as the leader. But we're going to focus on, on those two things working together. So the first point was he was meticulous with details. What's the second point from chapter 1? Well, Rick, he was obvious in his loyalty, and that loyalty was to God Almighty and his chosen people. Okay. So he was clear, utterly clear in who and what was important for him. And folks, anytime anyone is going to take up the mantle of leadership, if you don't have that kind of clarity, your leadership will ultimately fail. And, and I will tell you, Jonathan, this is not a political program, but just a statement to, to make a comparison. One of the problems in leadership in today's world, especially in the political world, are mixed agendas. We carry our own personal agenda in along with the agenda of trying to represent others. And when our personal agenda is there and we're trying to represent others, it creates a conflict and ultimate failure. Nehemiah was a perfect example of avoiding a personal agenda. We're going to really see that uh, today. So we talked about a change your world process in the last uh, uh, podcast last week. And so there was a very specific change your world process, several steps that Nehemiah followed. And Rick, I, I wanted to mention uh, for the Christian perspective, kind of in a general um, sense, to change the world, we live for a higher purpose, a godly purpose. And that's what's following in Jesus' footsteps is all about. Right. Uh, if found faithful, you have the the privilege of helping to change the world now as an example and in God's future kingdom. And so that's an amazing uh, privilege that we have that we can follow Jesus and be a part of a, this wonderful change. So the change your world process, the first step is to find your noble passion. And what you're saying is as a Christian, our noble passion is the footsteps of Jesus. That's right. And to honor God, just like Nehemiah did. Right. It, with your heart, soul, and mind, and strength. That's what he did, that we should do the same. Right. Okay. And each time we get on to a new change your world process, Jonathan, you, you need to insert the, the, the big picture of Christianity. Because, you know, there's a lot of sub-goals within Christianity. But we want to understand the big goal, and the world-changing goal of the big thing, and then all of the little things within it that we can do and be a part of. So that, that's good. Find your noble passion. We cannot expect to ever change anything unless we're focused on something of such high value that it dominates our very being. And what that says, Jonathan, is just what you were saying. It's not about me. It's about the purpose that, that I get to be a little teeny tiny part of, but it's not about me. It's about the purpose. It's about something way bigger than me. So the first point, the first change your world process point from last week was find your noble passion. What was the second change your world process from last week? Well, Rick, it's press your passion into personal purpose. So the overall Christian perspective is uh, dedicate your life to do God's will and not your own. All right. It's that simple. Okay. But, but now let's go back to Nehemiah. Okay. So press your passion into personal purpose. Dedicate your life. That's what you're saying for the, for the typical Christian. So now the example of Nehemiah pressing his passion into personal purpose is when he prayed about Jerusalem. He was reasoning before God that, uh, that action can appropriately be taken. The walls of Jerusalem were broken down terribly. It, the place was a complete, complete shambles. And he was praying that God 
this can be fixed. And, as, and he knows that the people have to be willing to go back to God. And so he's praying along the lines of, I know that the, the, that the people have to go back to you, but we can, th- something can be done about this. And this becomes his, his passion. He cannot get fixing the walls of Jerusalem out of his head. But, you know, God has a way of testing our passion and personal purpose with the passage of time. When he started praying about this, Jonathan, did God answer his prayer right away, give him an opportunity right off the bat? No, he didn't. And he allowed Nehemiah to pray for, I think, wasn't it about like four months? Yes. He was in prayer over this? So it was a, an obsession of his for four months, an absolute obsession. That's a long time to be praying about something and, and finally an opportunity opens up. And so pressing our passion into personal purpose here is a task that is not for the faint of heart. And that's why Nehemiah stands out so, so, so clearly amongst the crowd. Not everyone is necessarily cut out for this kind of a role. So the question, Jonathan, Nehemiah literally changed the world around him. He did. Well, what do you do if you're not a Nehemiah? What do you do? You find a Nehemiah. Okay, you find a Nehemiah, and you walk and work with that Nehemiah, and then you can, too, change your world. Everybody's not cut out to be the person in front. That's okay. What you want to do is latch on to those who have that same passion that you do and help them get the job done. And, and I love the point that it's a noble passion. Right. It's worth, you know, worth putting your heart into because of, of how high and lofty and beautiful that passion should be towards. And of course, as Christians, anything noble has to be godly. You know, you can't separate one thing from the other. You know, you can't say, well, let me do this noble passion in this worldly sense. No, 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 no. As a Christian, that's not really noble, okay? We've got to have that highest, highest standard. So we can change our world even if we're not a Nehemiah by latching onto a Nehemiah. What's the next change your world process we talked about last week? Pass your passion and purpose on to the right people. So, Rick, the overall Christian perspective is... Be together in serving God with the Lord's people, the body of Christ. But now, back to Nehemiah. All right. So, be together, work together as a body. And it's interesting that Christians aren't called as individuals. They're called to be members of a body. That's right. With Nehemiah, any truly noble passion uh, cannot, uh, for, for change cannot ever be accomplished without the engaged and dedicated help of others. And we see how Nehemiah drew others in along the way, and he started with a few, and he literally ended with thousands working alongside of him. What's the next change your world process from last week? Practice your passion and purpose with urgency. And the overall Christian perspective, Rick, I was thinking of is the time is short. Um, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. There has to be urgency in you being faithful to the Lord um, to prove yourself worthy. Okay. Has to be urgent. It's got to be something. Now, Nehemiah had to wait four months before he could do anything, but it did not slow down his urgency. He planned and he planned and he planned before he could do, do, do. And that shows you the depth of his urgency. One of the very hardest aspects of changing your world is to engage others with the same ownership that you have of this particular dream. Nehemiah used some very simple and godly principles to accomplish this. He used family and he used ownership. 
And in the rebuilding of the walls, he would put families together to work on a, a section. When uh, and he and he'd take uh, nobles from from uh, Israel and have them work in sections that they presided over. So there would be the pride of ownership and the and the the, the pride of the protection of your own family. That's how he got them to do the highest, uh, strongest kind of work that we possibly could see. So, Jonathan, what do we have so far? Well, Rick, we have a mighty crew of workers each with their own motivation to repair Jerusalem for the sake of God first and for the sake of their own heritage and protection second. Okay, all right. So we've got this crew of workers and they've got motivation on a godly level and on a physical level. So, but now what's coming? Well, Rick, threats, fear, doubt, internal strife. Typical issues that come with changing your world. (laughs) All right. So because you can never expect world-changing work to be easy, to be unchallenged, to not not have things that are there to blow it up into pieces. And Nehemiah was going to face all of those things as we shall very shortly see. So Nehemiah had his team in place and they are committed. What can possibly happen? Trouble, Rick. Trouble. Trouble is a telling test for any leader. What kind of trouble came and how did Nehemiah handle it? We're podcasting live every Monday night from 8 to 9.30. You can talk to us direct through our chat at ChristianQuestions.com. We also welcome your comments or questions any day of the week. Just hit the Contact Us button. We're now out of the starting gate. Let's pick up the pace for tonight's topic. It's one thing to have a vision, to act on it, to share it with others and get them out on board with you. It's an entirely different thing to face serious trouble in this process. Trouble brings any leader to the crossroad of fight or flight. And that's where leaders' characters and mission are tested at a whole new level. And, and Jonathan, it becomes, it is to me so inspiring to see the testing that was put in Nehemiah's way and how he managed each and every test with this godly, powerful, passionate, clear determination that just would not sidestep for anything. I just, I, he's my hero. <laughs> I, I tell you, what inspiration. A single focus to honor the Lord in everything. It, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, it really, really is. Let, let's take a moment. Let's go back to dream, motivational video. Uh, and uh, again, this is taking the principles that they're talking about. And in this portion of, of the sound of the, of, of the video, it's talking about, you know, staying on it, staying on it, staying on it, because most people actually don't. Most people, they raise a family, they earn a living, and then they die. They stop growing, they stop working on themselves, they stop stretching, they stop pushing themselves that a lot of people like to complain, but they don't want to do anything about their situation. And most people don't work on their dreams. Why? One is because of fear, the fear of failure. What if things don't work out? And the fear of success. What if they do and I can't handle it? These are not risk takers. Nehemiah was a risk taker. There's no question about it. He took risks that were unbelievable. And, and remember, he's just the cupbearer for the king. All right, and now he's going, getting involved in this massive, massive construction project for the broken down walls of Jerusalem. Just asking the king permission to go to do this was a huge feat. But then he said, oh, by the way, I need all these supplies right. <laughs> and this is how many timbers we need and this is how, and he started giving the king a list. 
Yeah, because, That's crazy. because through those four months, he was working on the plan. He was so dedicated to it, even though he had zero opportunity, he was putting the plan in place. So when the opportunity arose, he was absolutely ready. So this brings us to a new change your world process as we look at how to change your world part two. Our new change the world, your world process, uh, next step is what, Jonathan? Power through enemy adversity with defiance and mutual ownership. And Rick, the overall Christian perspective, I was thinking of um, the three things that we often mention, our, our enemy is the world, the flesh, and the devil. And they're constantly attacking us to knock us off of Christ-likeness. So as a, as a Christian, we need to really focus ourselves and to rely on one another to help us stay on that pathway. It's not an individual walk. It really, truly isn't. Individually, we have to grow, but we do that individual growing through mutual reliance and co-laboring together. And, and, you know, it's interesting. To power through enemy adversity with defiance and mutual ownership. Defiance and mutual ownership almost sound contradictory. Uh, <laughs> but you've got to be defiant against the right things and own the right things. There's a really good quote from Patrick Dod Dodson on this point. In a climate of uncertainty and fear, without strong visionary leadership, people panic. And we will see how the people would panic frequently and Nehemiah was always there to deal with them. And so, Jonathan, they're working on, on the wall, okay? And a lot of this, they, they, they got started, you know, with our podcast from last week. The rising up of controversy and insult as they begin to rebuild the wall is now the, what is going to be the first thing that comes up to really derail the effort. Now we're going to be going to Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. And we're going to read 1 through 3 to get started. Now it came about when Samballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became furious and very angry and mocked the Jews. He spoke in the presence of his brothers and the wealthy men of Samaria and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Are they going to restore it for themselves? Can they offer sacrifices? Can they finish in a day? Can they revive the stones from the dusty rubble, even the burned ones? Now Tobiah, the Ammonite was near him, and he said, even when they are building, if a fox should jump on it, he would break their stone wall down. Okay, so there's a lot of insults here. And to this point, the Jews had been merely annoying, and now they're a cause for heckling and anger. Now, Jonathan, I want to put this in today's world for a minute. So let's go back over this scripture and think of it in terms of tweeting. Because, you know, people love to tweet out little things just to jab you know, uh -huh. can you imagine if Sanballat had had a tweet, Twitter account and he'd say, look, look at the feeble Jews trying to build a wall. Ha! Tweet that out to all his followers. You know, they're going to, uh, you know, can they build it in a day? I don't think so. You know, I mean, just that's the way our world works. You know, we seem to love that kind of thing. That's not new. <laughs> they just didn't have technology to make it go so fast. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> but, you know, it's the same principle. You see something that's against you and you mock it and you insult it and you try to demean it. And that's what was happening. And, you know, they, the Jews had been an annoyance up to this point, And now they're a cause for serious heckling. You know, look, if they, you know, his, his buddy uh, Tobias sends out the tweet, you know, they're building a wall and a fox is going to knock it down tomorrow. Just watch. You know, just, just ha ha. Look at the, the foolishness of these people spending all this effort. It's such a mess. It's not possible. Ha. Huh. Now, if the people are weak, 
that could get to them. And they, could, they could crumble. Right. Because little things like that wear you away little by little by little. Because nobody is immune to everything. So you're right. You've got to be careful and you've got to be strong in that face. And the people heard the heckling and the threats and they were shaken. So Nehemiah does what a great leader in this situation would do. He prays for strength. Let's go to verses 4 through 6. Uh, and I'm going to interrupt you in the middle, as usual, of Nehemiah chapter 4. Hear, O our God, how are we despised? Return the reproach on their own heads and give them up for plunder in a land of captivity. Do not forgive their iniquity and let not their sin be blotted out before you, for they have demoralized the builders. All right, all right, interesting thing. He says, do not forgive their iniquity. And you're like, really? <laughs> are you really praying that? And the answer is yes. And you say, well, why would, why would that be an appropriate thing for Nehemiah to pray? And when you think about it, what he's asking, he's saying, Lord, don't forgive their iniquity. Don't let their sin be blotted out because they're demoralizing the builders who are doing your work. What he's asking God for is justice. He's asking them for, to reap the consequences of their behavior that stands directly against God. So it gives us a lesson, Jonathan. Powering through enemy adversity is best fueled with sincere prayer for God's protective hand. Okay, that's, this is an Old Testament picture where he's plowing through and people are getting shaken, so he stops and he prays. And what we're going to see, Jonathan, through this entire podcast is Nehemiah stops and prays all the time. I mean, you know where his strength comes from. Verse 6. So we built the wall, and the whole wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. I love that verse. For the people had a mind to work. So even though they were shaken by all of this, they still had a mind to work. Why? Because they were a unified and defiant force as they spurred one another on in their difficult and now obviously more dangerous work. One of the reasons they were unified, Jonathan, is remember how he, he divided them up. Remember from last week? Uh, from specific towns under he, certain leaders of those towns. Right, and families. He had families and the sons of this one and the sons of that one working together. And yes. people working on the wall outside of their own house. That's right. You know, so he got them working for the wall, but for those personal purposes that had to do with the wall as well. And so the people had a mind to work, and they built the wall to half its height. Now, this is making Sanballat and all of his other minions really aggravated because they shouldn't be making this kind of progress like this. This is not the script. You know, it was such—remember, it was such a mess when he went to investigate, he couldn't even ride a horse around it because there was so much rubble. It was awful. Yeah. 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 It, it brought him to tears how bad it was. Right, right, right. Okay, so now heckling and insults now become a serious threat of attack because the people are not stopping. We go to Nehemiah chapter 4 now, still in chapter 4, verses 7 through 14, and we'll take this in pieces. Now when Sambalat, Tobiath, and the Arabs, and the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the repair of the walls of Jerusalem went on and that the breaches began to be closed, they were very angry. All of them conspired together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause a disturbance in it. So now you've got these four different peoples that are looking at this saying, we don't like this. 
We don't like this. As a matter of fact, we don't like it so much, we're going to stop it. This stops now. Because now, instead of being something to heckle and something to make fun of, they perceived the Jewish effort as a threat. So to power through, this is our current change-your-world process, to power through enemy adversity with defiance and mutual ownership, Nehemiah knew to always go back to his original source of strength. And that source of strength was what? Prayer to God over and over again. And what a powerful lesson here. Verses uh, 8 through 12 of Nehemiah 4. But we prayed to our God, and because of them, we set up a guard against them day and night. Then in Judah, it was said, the strength of the burden bearers is failing, yet there is much rubbish, and we ourselves are unable to rebuild the wall. Our enemies said, they will not know or see until we come among them, kill them, and put a stop to their work. When the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times, they will come up against us from every place where you may turn. All right, so, so there's a lot that goes on in these verses, Jonathan, so let's take them, take them apart. Verse 10, it was said in Judah that the strength of the burden bearers is failing. So in other words, word started to go out that this is really a tough task, the people doing it, are, are, are getting tired because they're working really hard, they're working long hours, and now there's a threat of attack. And yet there's still all this rubbish, all of this, 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 this rubble around, and, um, and because there's so many things that aren't good, we're not able to build the wall. Meanwhile, so, so there's doubt rising amongst the workers. Meanwhile, the enemies say, look, there's so much trash around, we can sneak up on them really easily. We will surround them, we will overtake them, we will engulf them, and they will not even know what hit them. So you've got the people beginning to doubt. You've got the enemies doing this conspiring, saying, these guys are like sitting ducks. We're just going to get, get them. They've got no place to go. And then you have the Jews who live nearby who heard about the planning of the bad guys, and they come in, and it says, and they came and told us ten times. They will come up against us from every place where you might turn. So, I mean, it, it, it kind of reminds me of locusts. You know, mm, yeah, they're going to swarm. So, ten different times, the people around were saying, "You guys are doomed. This this project can't make it through. There are too many enemies. They're armed. They're gonna they're gonna take you guys right out. There's nothing you can do here." And, and you know, that's a scary thought. You're 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 in this project, and you got no place to go, no place to hide, and you know, you, you can easily be surrounded. So does Nehemiah give up? Ha! <laughs> you only wish he'd give up. <laughs> Are you kidding? Tensions continue to mount as the people begin to lose heart. So what Nehemiah does is he reacts in a very clear and decisive manner. You know, defiance needs decisiveness. If you're going to defy something, you have to stand with such firmness that is uncontrovertible what you stand for, why you stand, and how you stand. So here's what Nehemiah does. Uh, let's go verses uh, 13 through 14, but we're going to stop at, uh, at the end of verse 13. Then I stationed men in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, the exposed places, and I stationed the people in families with their swords, spears, and bows. Okay, so he's beginning to station men and, and, and people to be a, a line of defense. 
But again, how does he station them? What, what's the strategy behind it? Families together. Yes. Fam- why? Because families together are going to fight and fight hard to protect one another. And so they're, they're stationed with their swords and their spears and their bows. So they're saying, oh, yeah, you, 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 you cannot stop our project. Nehemiah is not saying everybody stop working. He's saying, we're going to put a guard around the outside edge of those who are doing the work. Verse 14, though, shows you what, what's happening inside the hearts of the men. When I saw their fear, I rose and spoke to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Okay, so let, let's pause right there. When I saw their fears, Nehemiah, see, he was so intuitive. He didn't just say, okay, we'll put up the guards and, you know, that'll do it. He keeps watching the people and he sees their fear. So he talks to their leaders and says, look, remember, it's God who's behind this work. It's God Almighty who's opened the doors. It's God Almighty who's given us this measure of success. It's God Almighty whose city we're rebuilding. It's God Almighty whom we are honoring. And he puts that right in front of them. But he doesn't stop there because he knows humanity is weak and we're frail and sometimes we forget the bigger picture. So what's the next part? Right after say, he says, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. So he helps them understand that this is a fight first and foremost for God Almighty. But it's also for you. It's also for your family. It's for your sons. It's for your brothers. It's for your daughters. It's for your wives. It's for the very place that you live. This is what you are fighting for. So, Jonathan, as we, as we look at this, power through enemy adversity with defiance and mutual ownership. Defy the evil. Defy the darkness. You know, as a general Christian principle, you know, resist the devil and he will flee from That's you. Right. That's right. Stand defiant against him. Now, our defiance doesn't come through our own strength. Nehemiah knew that their defiance couldn't come through their own strength. They had to join together. They had to be honoring to God first and foremost. See, our strongest power in defiance against an enemy is based on faith in God's protection, coupled with our willingness to stand and fight for that which we have committed to. That's how you change your world. You see, for most of us, Changing the world sounds like too big a thing. But most of us can join in to the cause that's already working. And we can, we can lend our help and lend our, um, our, 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 our personal focus and dedication to help that cause happen. You know, I remember being a young man as a Christian and, and you know, wanting to be helpful. And, you know, this is, these were the, the, the years long before I did a lot of talking. Now, I know that seems like a long time ago. That's hard to believe, yeah. actually. <laughs> <laughs> but, Jonathan, there were times when I would, I remember there was one time at a youth camp where, um, I mean, it, it was like a horrific, horrific rainstorm for the entire week. And the director of the camp had, was just literally putting out, not putting out fires, you know, pun, no pun intended, you know, it, it's raining, he's putting out fires because everything's going wrong and the tents are leaking. And I wanted to help. So what I did is I followed him around with an umbrella. And while he was doing all his work for hours, he would walk to here and here. And I would just carry the umbrella because I wanted to be part of it. He did all the work. He made all the decisions. All I did was hold his umbrella so he wouldn't get wet. Because I figured if he's going to have to do this, he might as well stay dry. And so, you know, he was my Nehemiah. 
I couldn't do it, but he could, so I could hold the umbrella. I mean, that, that's what it comes down <laughs> to. So, so look, <laughs> so what happens when your hands are totally full, but there's more to deal with? Nehemiah is about to demonstrate that. Trouble inevitably comes from the outside, but what do you do when it comes from within your own ranks? Sometimes our questions and commentary can get complicated. That's part of having a thorough discussion. We'd love to hear your opinion. Contact us now at ChristianQuestions.com. Comment through Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or our app. Just when you thought we may be figuring this out, let's get more complicated. You know, we haven't yet seen the results of how Nehemiah's decisive faith and action countered the enemy's plans, and already we're looking at other potential issues. This time, the issues are from within. Anyone who has the audacity to try and change their world will inevitably be faced simultaneously with multiple issues. And Jonathan, it's never easy because the issues don't just come from one place, they come from all kinds of places. And that's going to be the next phase in looking at Nehemiah as we continue with this change your world process. And what's the one that we're still working on? Well, Rick, it's power through enemy, adversity, and defiance and mutual ownership. All right. You have to be defiant and mutually own the process. All of you working together have to have that same kind of ownership in the process. So we've got a little bit of... of, um, uh, external problems still, and then we're going to get into internal problems in a moment. Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 15 through 23, and we're going to do selected verses here. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, then all of us returned to the wall, each one to his work. Now in the next verses, it says they now adjusted their work plan. Half of the people did the work and half of the people carried the weaponry. For those people working directly on the wall, they bore their loads one-handed with their sword in their other hand. Each builder wore his sword with a trumpeter nearby. So everybody is armed and ready and still working. And the, the work would have gone slower, but the, the comfort point in their minds that we're protected, we've got this, we're, we're ready, we're able that that peace of mind helped them to continue. It did. And, you know, it w- made the work much more difficult. But earlier it we did. saw that phrase that says the people had a mind to work. See, when Nehemiah gave them the ability to defend themselves, they still had a mind to work. And now you have that defiance really kicking in. I've got a sword. I've got this guy holding armor over there. And I know there's a trumpeter nearby. So if something happens, we're ready for them. And, you know, that adrenaline that makes you work harder was just present all the time. So verses 19 to 21 of Nehemiah 4 now, continuing this, this particular process now. I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive, and we are separated on the wall far from one another. At everywhere place, your place you hear the sound of the trumpet. Rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we carried on the work, with half of them holding spears from dawn until the stars appeared. So from the first cracks of light in the morning to when you could see the stars at night, half of the people were standing guard and the other half were working, many of them with a sword in one hand and working with the other. From dawn till dusk, every day. See, they powered through 
powering through the enemy's adversity with defiance and mutual ownership, and it required tactical leadership to be able to do that. Nehemiah had to put tactics in place that would actually work, that would give the people confidence, and, see, the other thing, Jonathan, is it gives the enemy cause for concern. Like, man, these people are serious. And it's not like we're going to sneak up on them and then take them by surprise and they're not going to be ready. They're like ready everywhere. They've got trumpeters that you can see. Everybody is carrying something. So, you know, all of a sudden it's not the route that you imagine it would be. You mean there's going to be, there's going to be resistance. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of it. <laughs> right. That's how the world changes. You change your world by having those that, that share that noble passion all owning it and being willing to stand together when diversity or, or um, adversity, not diversity, adversity comes along. So you power through enemy adversity with defiance and mutual ownership. Again, we're, we're focusing on that in this segment. There's no better way than by example. You know, Nehemiah required this of the people. But what did Nehemiah himself actually do? This is awesome, Jonathan. Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 22 and 23. At that time, I also said to the people, let each man with his servants spend the night within Jerusalem so that they may be a guard for us by night and a laborer by day. So neither I, my brothers, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us removed our clothes. Each took his weapon even to the water. All right. So in other words, people didn't go home at night and come back in the morning. They slept there. And Nehemiah says, we didn't even bother to get changed because we were going to always be ready. Now, when it says that he took his weapon even to the water, there's a lot, you know, the translation and all that, it, it, it say that they, they, it's not like they went without a bath for months and months. It's that, <laughs> it's that they were always ready. That's really what he's saying. And what, Got a, it. And, and, and the thing is, Nehemiah, was always ready. He did everything to a greater degree than he ever asked anybody else to do. So you personally live the change and the sacrifice that you want to see in others. That's how you help people power through enemy adversity with defiance and mutual ownership. That's how you change your world. You do it first, you do it with them, and you set an example that is high enough that they say, wow, that's amazing. And it gives them strength. It's just such, a, it's such an amazing thing. Let's go back to uh, another soundbite uh, from Dream motivational video. Uh, and, you know, again, everybody is not cut from the same kind of cloth, and everybody is not going to see the power of this noble vision that we're talking about. That everybody won't see it, that everybody won't join you, that everybody won't have the vision. It's necessary to know that, that you are an uncommon breed. It's necessary that you align yourself with people and attract people into your business who are hungry, people who are unstoppable and unreasonable, people who are refusing to leave life just as it is. You know, and Jonathan, with that video, it really is amazing because it's saying, you know, you want people working with you that are hungry, that are unstoppable. They didn't start out that way, but Nehemiah taught them how to be that way, and they they, they latched on to all of this in a, such a big and powerful way. So, Jonathan, I just wanted to quick tell you about a new Christian Questions video feature. Did you say videos? Yes, I did. 
And who's in those videos? Uh, yeah, it's me. <laughs> you know, look, Jonathan, sometimes you don't have enough time to listen to a whole podcast, but you want to fill your minutes with something uplifting, something good, something edifying, something that will give you a moment that you can think about and carry with you throughout your day. Well, filling up moments is good. It is. And we started this new video series on YouTube called CQ Moments That Matter. We sum up recent podcasts in just two minutes, giving you lots of food for thought. Wait, wait. Hold on there, Rick. You can actually say something in two minutes? <laughs> <laughs> I, believe me, it wasn't easy, okay? It's not easy and it takes a lot of work, but yes, it can be done. These Moments That Matter videos are really easy to find. Just go to christianquestions.com slash YouTube. Wait, stop, Rick. You're going too fast. That's christianquestions.com slash YouTube. That's what I said, christianquestions.com slash YouTube, or you can search our handle, and you know what our handle is, right? Yes, CQ Bible Podcast, all one word, and subscribe to YouTube channel and get automatic updates on new videos. And while you're there, you can also check out our video series called CQ Bible 101, where we answer our listeners' questions on basic Bible principles. ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube for relevant videos to boost us through the day. Got it. All right. Something new, uh, the CQ uh, moments that matter on YouTube. So, so Jonathan, our next point here in, is the next change your world process. We just worked through power through enemy adversity with defiance and mutual ownership. The next change your world process point is what? Persevere through internal strife and external traps. And Rick, the overall Christian perspective that I was thinking of is within the body of Christ, we have trials and challenges from within, but it's going to help create more growth in Christ. So it's okay if there's friction or disagreement. It's working through it in a, in a Christian way. And that's the key, working through it in a Christian way. You want to change your world. You can't bring your own world with you, okay? Noble purpose, noble passion for a noble purpose is a higher purpose. And you're right. We are going to have friction if we're truly, truly stretching ourselves. But that friction can be worked out if we do it with Christian principles. Now, look, Nehemiah lived long before Christianity, but he used those very same types of principles to work out some, what we're going to see in a moment is some really serious trouble. You know, external trouble and threats are significant, but internal trouble and strife in many ways is much, much worse. So to change your world requires wisdom, focus, and a follow what I do approach. And again, here we're going to see Nehemiah stepping up and stepping out first and foremost and showing people, not just telling them, not just explaining it, not just giving them the philosophy and the theory, but showing them the way. Brings us to a really great quote by Valklav Havel. It is not enough to stair up the steps. We must step up the stairs. I love that. It's simple. It's not enough to stare up the steps. Wow, long way to go. No, you have to take those steps. Nehemiah took the steps first. So many were engaged in this work, working on the wall. He recruited so many people that food supply problems began to compound on top of a lack of rain. So they had nature that wasn't really cooperating so well, and they had so many people to feed. So now 
there is a great outcry that we're going to hear about in Nehemiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Uh, we're going to take this in pieces. And there's three groups of people that are speaking out with significant issues. So let's, let's start with verses 1 through, 1 through 2, Nehemiah 5. Now there was a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, We, our sons and our daughters, are many. Therefore, let us get grain that we may eat and live. You know, we're working on this wall. We're rebuilding Jerusalem. We don't have any time to go do other things. We need to be fed. We need, we need help here. We are getting really hungry. That's a legitimate gripe. It's a legitimate Absolutely. cause. Okay, so that's the first group. Second group, verses, uh, verse 3. There were others who said, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses that we might get grain because of the famine. Okay, now because, again, there's not a lot of rain and all of this work is going on, they're actually mortgaging out their, their, their fields and their vineyards. It's, it's, they're, they're putting their very livelihoods on the line here. So that's the second group. That's a problem. And what's the third group? Also, there were those who said, we have borrowed money from the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is like the flesh of our brothers, our children like their children. Yet behold, we are forcing our children to be slaves, and we are helpless because of our fields and vineyards belong to others. So they're losing their fields and their vineyards because they're now borrowing money for the king's tax on top of everything else. So there's a lot of catastrophe happening in the midst of all of this work. So let's remember, you've got the enemy lurking without, with all kinds of weaponry, looking to crush you. And now you've got the enemy lurking within, of hunger and dissatisfaction and disunion, all beginning to formulate from different groups of people. So Nehemiah's reaction in verse 6 is what? Then I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. So he hears what's going on, and, and it's hard to sort of really figure it out from those verses. We'll get to the next set of verses, and, and it'll, it'll make more sense. But he's really upset. He's really upset at what's happening because there's this internal strife that— and Jonathan, when we have internal strife, you know what happens? Is we begin to have distrust for our brother. That's sad. We begin to have distrust for the guys working on that part of the wall or the ones in that clan because there's a lot of extra pressure. And when those kinds of feelings start to foster, we have to really, really be careful. So much of their issues stem from some caring for some, from some of them caring for themselves at the expense of others. That's what Nehemiah was angry about. So in verses seven through eight, he comes through and again says something very he perseveres through the internal strife with brutal honesty and personal example. I contended with the nobles and the rulers and said to them, You are exacting usury, each from his brother. We, according to our ability, have redeemed our Jewish brothers who were sold to the nations. Now, would you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us? Then they were silent and could not find a word to say. Rick, what's going on here? What's Nehemiah saying, really? Because yeah, it's, it's a weird scripture. Yeah, it is. These are, these are a little bit confusing verses. What he's saying is, first of all, he's showing a deep integrity among the people um, that, uh, 
they had a deep integrity. It just got lost for a moment. And he's showing how he to bring it back, okay? But what's happening is they were mortgaging themselves to others, and they were bringing each other to, to be indentured servants, essentially. And Nehemiah is saying to them, what are you doing? These are your brothers. Can't you see we're in a crisis situation? And then he says in verse 8, you, you are ready. He says, we, according to our ability, have redeemed our Jewish brothers who were sold to the nations. So he says to them, look, while you're taking care of your own pocketbook, what I have been doing is I've been taking my money and sending out my emissaries to the surrounding nations and buying back our people who were indentured servants there. I would buy their freedom. I'd bring them back so they can work on the wall. And you are enslaving your own brother at the same time when I'm buying the freedom with my own money for these other folks? What is wrong with you guys? Well, they were humbled very quickly after Nehemiah told them that. Well, they what, were silent. What can you say? When your leader says, I'm spending my own money, my own fortune, if you will, to free others. I'm not asking for anything from them, but to come and to work with us as Jews rebuilding God's city. I mean, what, what can you say to that? It's a powerful, powerful lesson of integrity. The leader goes first. So he set an example, Jonathan, that was so high that when they found out what he was doing, they were literally speechless. Literally could not say a word. So he was showing them to persevere through internal strife and external traps by being the example of what they needed. So when you think about it, you talk about a man who lived by everything that he said. That everybody Whoops, let's try that again. <laughs> this man, again, lived by everything that he said. Oh, we have much more to say about him. Nehemiah's example was humbly and deeply charitable. But was it enough to spark needed change? Join our conversation by messaging us through the Christian Questions app. Download it now in your app store. Just search Christian Questions, then give us your thoughts on this and future episodes. Now, let's take a CQ deep dive. It's always necessary with internal crisis that the leader be able to step up and calm everyone to the point of re-engaging their ability to listen. Nehemiah cut right through all the points of view to the vital core of the matter, which was that they all desperately need each other more than they needed their own personal comfort and personal advantage. That was the point. They needed one another more than they needed stuff for themselves to protect their own claim, so to speak, because the project was for everyone's safety and well-being and security, and God-honoring lives. And his example, Jonathan, of spending his own fortune, buying back others from slavery from other nations, was, was, was telling them, you have no excuse. And they, and they didn't make any excuses. So this change your world process, persevere through internal strife and external traps, we need to continue that here because there's, there, there's still more to it. You know, life doesn't get easier here for Nehemiah. It just continues to, to get harder until the job ends up being done. So once again, the power of Nehemiah's devotion to righteousness and God shows the way. And um, well, let, let's read the, the next few verses and then just spend a few minutes talking about 
other parts of the issue that Nehemiah was going to deal with. Because it wasn't just enough to say, look, you know, no, none of this in, in, in enslaving one another. There was more to it. Nehemiah chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. And likewise, I, my brothers and my servants, are lending them money and grain. Please let us leave off this usury. Please give back to them this very day their fields and their vineyards and their olive groves and their houses. Also, the hundredth part of the money and of the grain, the new wine and the oil that you are exacting from them. Then they said, we will give it back and we will require nothing from them. We will do exactly as you say. So what was happening, now this is funny when you look at it in terms of today's world. You know, he's saying, look, you guys are charging interest to one another. Shame on you. You shouldn't be charging interest. And he says, not only to give them back their goods, but give them back the hundredth part. So they were charging a 1% rate of interest. And Nehemiah was furious at that 1% interest. Wow. <laughs> and he's furious. And see, here's the principle behind it. We are all together engaged in changing our world, which means that if you own it the way I own it, we need to dedicate all of ourselves and what we have to the cause. And you should not be doing anything to make a nickel off of your brother because our cause is a godly cause and it's much more important than your, 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 your bank account. So stop it. And he Amazing, <laughs> amazing, Rick. He changed their perspective he did. based on godliness. And he changed their perspective based on his own example. Because again, he says, look, all right, I'll tell you. Here's what I've been doing. I, my brothers, and my servants are lending money and grain to everybody. We're not charging them anything. We're lending it to, now look, they'll eventually you know, re return it, but whenever they can, because it's about the cause. So not only was he buying back others from, from slavery, he was lending to those who needed it without any sort of interest whatsoever. He was like, look, let's, get, let's just work together. Let's just work together. Not only did Nehemiah stem the tide of disunity and ill will, he reversed it, like you said. He changed their world. It just is a, a, a marvelous example of persevering through internal strife and external traps by doing it first and at a level that others can look up to and say, wow, until I get to that level, I've got to be quiet and just do what I'm supposed to do. So really just a crazy example of goodness and righteousness and integrity and godliness. So again, let's go back a little bit of motivation to drop in here from the dream motivational video, uh, you know, having to see the vision yourself. And that's what the people had to do. Nehemiah had to show it to them in a way where they could really truly buy in. Someone's opinion of you does not have to become your reality. That you don't have to go through life being a victim. And even though you face disappointments, you have to know within yourself that I can do this. Even if no one else sees it for me, I must see it for myself. This is what I believe. And I'm willing to die for it. Period. No matter how bad it is, or how bad it gets, I'm going to make it. I want to represent an idea. I want to represent possibilities. You know, you put that in the context of Nehemiah and the people. This is what I believe, and I'm willing to die for it. 
That's the ownership that they had working with him. They saw him as unshakable, unflappable, and unstoppable. And they lined up behind him and said, we're going to work on this thing till it's done. This is God's work. We have a leader that is showing us unequivocally that we can be brave and we can be strong and we could be focused and we could treat each other with fairness and integrity and equality and unity. And, and they believed in this, Jonathan. They put their very lives on the line because of the strength of their belief. That, to me, is such an inspiring example of how to change your world. So there's even more, okay? There's more to it. Nehemiah, well, let me have, let's, let's, let's read the verses. Nehemiah chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. Because now, you know, he's been telling them about his own example, about how to get things done. And here's some of the other things that have happened along the way that he just happens to, to mention to help them understand the importance of living to a higher standard. Moreover, from the day that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, for 12 years, and that, his, was, that was his time as governor, neither I nor my kinsmen have eaten the governor's food allowance. Okay, so now he's, he was appointed to be governor very early on in this, and he's saying, look, you know, I have not availed myself of the privilege of the governor's food allowance. And now he's looking back over 12 years, so obviously he's writing this much later and saying, that's not something I availed myself of. Uh, and what was the previous habit? Let's look at verse 15. But the former governors who were before me laid burdens on the people and took from them bread and wine besides 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants domineered the people. So he's saying, in contrast, governors beforehand made it burdensome for the people because they were the governor and they were looking to get paid. Now, why did not he not look to get paid? Well, let's finish verse 15 and do verse 16. But I did not do so because of the fear of God. I also applied myself to the work on this wall. We did it not by any land. We did not even buy land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. So he says, look, while the work on the wall was going on, I didn't take anything from anybody because of my fear of God. Now, it doesn't mean, does it mean he's afraid of God? I mean, his reverence, right. his reverence of God. Because he saw God as a giving, blessing God in his powerful leadership. And he took that principle of God giving and blessing others and said, if I am appointed governor, I should be that way. I should have godliness in me, and I should be giving, and I should be blessing. So I shouldn't be taking. My job should be giving. And I'm so focused on that that during all of that time, I didn't buy any land. You know, he was in a, obviously, you know, working as the, uh, the, the, the king's cupbearer for however many years was probably a pretty good gig, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, he had money. He, he had wealth. He did. He seemed to have quite a bit of wealth, and he could have really gone in there, and he could have wheeled and dealed and made all kinds of property deals and all of this kind of stuff and become a very powerful, powerful landowner. But he didn't. He didn't. Now, he wasn't a member of the priesthood, okay? So he was allowed to have land and all that, but he didn't. Neither he or his servants didn't do that. And so he's giving this example to the people, Jonathan. And what do you say when your leader has that high a level of integrity? It's amazing. <laughs> and, and, and it makes you want to be better. It, it make, does. It makes you want to stand higher. The example of Nehemiah could not 
go unnoticed. And the whole governing process changed in accordance with Nehemiah's high standard of living, of serving God first and the people second. And, and, and Rick, in the bonus material, you, you put in some information about how many people Nehemiah fed. It, yeah. It's unbelievable. Every day. And, and again, folks, if you don't have CQ Rewind, if you don't subscribe to CQ Rewind, uh, the, the full edition, it's a free service available at ChristianQuestions.com or through the Christian Questions app. It's a free service. Each week we put out the document, the PDF file that, that comes to you via email. Uh, you can take a look at it. And in the bonus material for this week, Jonathan, we finish up the book of Nehemiah and go through a lot of the pieces that we left out because you're just playing too much. But the number of people that he personally financed to feed every day is staggering. I'm not going to tell you how many. Seek your rewind, uh, full edition, subscribe today. If you don't like it, you can unsubscribe with the click of a button. But it uh, in the bonus material, goes into details on that. Unbelievable. What a great example of godliness in this man, Nehemiah. So with the internal strife now solved, uh, or dissolved, rather. The work goes on. Now, Nehemiah, just because the internal strife was over and just because he had scared his enemies from attacking, doesn't mean that his enemies are done. All right? Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 9, and we're going to break this up into pieces. Now, when I was reported to Samballat, Tobiah, to Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall and that no breach remained in it, Although at that time I had not set up the doors in the gates, then Samballat and Geshem sent a message to me saying, Come, let us meet together in the plain of Ano. But they were planning to harm me. So the work is going on and they've rebuilt the wall. The gates are not there yet. And Samballat doesn't give up. They are enemies. They're saying, look. Nehemiah, come, we need, to, we need to meet together. We need to talk, okay? You know, I know we're enemies, but we need to talk. Nehemiah wouldn't go because he knew that they meant him harm. The Lord's Spirit gave him the wisdom to say, uh-oh, this is a trap. Yes. <laughs> you know, and it's interesting because Nehemiah was sharing all of the, 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 the goodness and the glory of this building project. In this text, though, he says, the rest of our enemies realized that I had rebuilt the wall. You say, well, why did he say that at this time? Because he was focusing on them, focusing on him. And they knew that without Nehemiah, everything would crumble. So Nehemiah is showing the importance of leadership by pointing out that he was the leader. And he's doing it in a very humble way when you think about it. And he's saying, and they, 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 they wanted me to come and talk to them, but I wouldn't because I knew it was a trap. So verse 3, what's his response? 3 and 4. So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and cannot come down. They sent messages to me four times in this manner, and I answered them in the same way. So they didn't give up after the first time or the second time or the third time, and they sent messages four different times. So if Nehemiah is a threat to you and refuses to take the bait, what do you do next? <laughs> How about invent fake news? You know, fake news is a phrase that we use today. It's nothing new. It is absolutely nothing new. Fake news, incidentally, let's just let's make sure we understand. Fake news is a lie, okay? Fake news is saying something that's simply not true. This has gone on, you know, generations before. We, we think we're so smart. Oh, look, we call it fake news. Well, just look at this. In verse uh, 5 and 6 of Nehemiah chapter 6, we've got fake news happening thousands of years before we thought of it. 
Then Sambalat sent his servant to me a fifth time and an open letter in his hand. In it was written, It is reported among the nations that you and the Jews are planning to rebel. Therefore, you are rebuilding the wall and you are to be their king, according to these reports. So <laughs> they literally <laughs> made up stories and, and said that they were circulating these stories among the nations. And, he's, and they're saying to him, you need to talk to us because, look, this is what's being spread about. What's Nehemiah's response? You have oh, also. I'm, I'm sorry. Wait, wait. Um, this is this is their. This is still their. This is still their fake news. Sorry. You have also appointed prophets to proclaim in Jerusalem concerning you. A king is in Judah, and now it will be reported to the king according to these reports. So come now, let us take counsel together. Yes, you see this news that's being spread about you, Nehemiah? It's damaging to you. It's damaging to your work. It's damaging to your reputation. Come, we better talk. I know we've been enemies, but look, okay, you've rebuilt your walls. Good. We just need to talk. What they want is to destroy him. So they create stories so that they can get him to be nervous about it, so that they can talk to him and they can destroy the leadership that holds the people together. So, in typical Nehemiah fashion, what does he do? Then I sent a message to him saying, Such things as you are saying have not been done, but you are inventing them in your own mind. For all of them were trying to frighten us, thinking they will become discouraged with the work and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. So, Nehemiah's response is, You're making stories up. I know it. You know it. Cut it out. He's very plain, very straightforward. And at the last phrase there is what? Oh, God, strengthen my hands. So his resolve is still there. And he's saying, Lord, give me the physical strength to carry out this resolve. Even when it looks like things have settled down, now the temptations are on a different level. It doesn't make them any less. And they're very focused on just on Nehemiah. Now, this is not the last trap that's set for him. And again, CQ Rewind bonus material uh, talks about another trap that follows this attempt, and that was uh, taking sanctuary in the temple. And that's right, and not to hide out. Right, right, right. And and he was being suggested suggested to him from those within that hey, maybe you should be hiding. And he's like, wait, no, 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 no. Because he understood that leadership, to change your world, the leader has to be out in front. And I think about, when I think about that, I think about Martin Luther King Jr. And, you know, it's been speculated that he knew that there was an assassination attempt waiting for him. And he went and he spoke anyway. And when you think about that, you know, there, there's great power in his going out and doing what he had to do and being that vocal, outspoken, out there leader to be very vulnerable. That's Nehemiah had, had that same, or he had the same uh, attitude as Nehemiah, I should say. Nehemiah was thousands of years before him. So, you know, Jonathan, the glaring truth here is uh, of, this, of this whole world-changing process is this. Nehemiah was so deeply entrenched in honoring God, serving God's people in the city, that he was utterly immovable by fear or by temptation. He could not be moved. No matter what they did, 
he could not be moved. And the temptations and the challenges and the trials and the difficulties keep coming and coming and coming, and he keeps standing and standing and standing. Nehemiah seems to have built an absolute no-lose situation. You're right, Rick. He has. With such powerful leadership and example, success was imminent. But how long would it last? We're uncovering the truth scripture by scripture while gathering information from across today's media landscape with our vast CQ team of contributors. We want to hear from you, our listeners, for more contribution to our conversations. Talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com or message us through the Christian Questions app and our producers may read your comments over the air. Let's continue working through our topic with all our tools. We're reviewing the evidence. Now let's put it together. To achieve lasting success in changing anyone's world requires long-term, heartfelt, uncompromising devotion to that change by those who lead. This example must be public for it to be powerful. Nehemiah provided to, proved to be such an example, and the fruits of his godly efforts are stunning. And Jonathan, I know I'm a broken record, but he has really become a hero of mine, um, just seeing the details of his dedication. I am so glad that we're talking about Nehemiah. Um, we're going to have to put him up there on the shelf uh, like a Joseph yeah. and a, a Daniel, <laughs> you know, and a King David. Yeah, it's like, yeah. wow, it, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, and, you know, and, it, and it gives us such hope because here's one man who, who does all of this work and, and organizes things. Now, the work could not have been done by one man, obviously. It took thousands upon thousands. But it, took it was a miracle. It really was. It was God's overruling providence working through the mind, the heart, and the hands of Nehemiah. And you could see God's will working through him to get to the point of finishing the work. Let's go to Nehemiah chapter 6. Uh, let's just start with just verse 15. So the wall was completed on the 25th of the month, Illul, in 52 days. So <laughs> can you even imagine the size of the project, completing it in 52 days. Unbelievable. In the mess and state it was in, right. it's, it's unbelievable. The people had a mind to work, and they had a leader who walked them through and kept their mind on their work and on the most important thing. Verse 16. When all the enemies heard of it and all the nations surrounding us saw it, they lost their confidence for they recognized that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Now think about that for a moment. Our enemies realized that this work was accomplished with the help of our God. Nehemiah was constantly praying, constantly putting God out in front, constantly giving God honor, constantly giving God praise, constantly looking to God for direction. And now that, by definition, had to spread out and others, even enemies, saw their God is with them. There's nothing we can do about this. Okay, But, Rick, that did not stop the threats. The threats kept coming. That's right. They did. CQ Rewind, the bonus material. Check it out. And you see the, the, the rest of the story that we just don't have time for. It's really remarkable. All right. So, Jonathan, our last soundbite from Dream Motivational Video. Um, you know, and really the bottom line on this is really it's not over until, you know, it's not over till it's over. And with Nehemiah, he was such a great example of that. Still talk about your dream. If you still talk about your goal, but you have not done anything, just take the first step that you can make your 
millions of people's lives and the world will never be the same again because you came this way. Don't let nobody steal your dream. After we face a rejection and a no or we have a meeting and no one shows up or somebody say, you can count on me and they don't come through. What if we have that kind of attitude because we possess? Nobody believes in you. You've lost again and again and again. The lights are cut off, but you're still looking at your dream, reviewing it every day and saying to yourself, it's not over until I win. You know, I'd rephrase that and say it's not over until God's will is done. Amen, brother. And, 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 you know, when you hear the energy in that soundbite and you hear the passion and, you know, things can be falling apart, but you keep going back to the principles. You keep going back to the, to, to, to the dream. You keep going back to what's driving you. And that's what Nehemiah did over and over and over and over again from the very first day when he heard the news of the walls of Jerusalem being torn to shreds till this day, 52 days after the work began, where the walls were now completed doesn't mean the whole city was rebuilt, but the walls were, were completed at this point. Now you've got yourself to the, to the point where it's not over until God's work is done. And Nehemiah, like you keep saying, accomplished a miracle. And that brings us to our final change your world process. What is it? Ponder, pray, and praise. And Rick, the overall Christian perspective, ponder or reflect on what the Lord is teaching us. Prayer. Stay close to God in prayer. It's our lifeline. And praise, the attitude of praise keeps a proper perspective. So for the Christian, those are those principles that keep us uh, uh, grounded in our Christianity. But when we find those other things to do within that Christianity, and we need that Nehemiah, maybe you are the Nehemiah. Maybe you're the one working at, at the Nehemiah's right hand. Maybe you're the one at Nehemiah's left hand. Maybe you're one of the people six rows back but you're still with your Nehemiah. Stay there. Change the world. Go ahead. Think about this radio program, Rick. We're both dedicated Christians wanting to serve the Lord and doing his will. And that's the general sense. But then there's a calling to a specific work that the Lord puts on your heart. Are you afraid? Do you back off or do you go for it and trust that he'll see you through? Right. And that's what he's done for us over the last uh, 19 years. Yeah, and, and you know, there are so many times during the process, for me especially, you know, my, I can only speak for me, you know, my own experience, where the necessary change that was required created huge personal anxiety in terms of making the change, you know, because a lot of times there are changes required. I didn't know how to do it. And, you know, you have to figure it out. It's sort of like on the run. And, and I remember because it used to be, um, we used to do our broadcast on Sunday mornings. Every Sunday night for a couple of years, I used to have anxiety attacks because you just finished and like, oh, got to do it again next week. Oh, what are we going to do? How are we going to do it? Where's the idea going to come from? Uh, what about the sound bites? I don't know even what a sound bite is. What am I supposed to? <laughs> I, I mean, really. And I remember sitting there with the, you know, and, and, I'm, and my breathing and, my, and I'm feeling that little tightness in my chest going, ah, ah, you know, and then I have to talk myself. Oh, look, the Lord's going to take care of it. Just, you really, so, but you're right. You know, the Lord requires us to just take those steps one at a time, and he never gives us, even though it feels like it, never gives us more than we can handle. That's right. And that has been our mutual experience with this. Sometimes it gets very difficult, <laughs> but it's never more than we can handle. So the change your world process, three steps, ponder, 
pray, and praise. Live the change of your original noble and godly passion, and in so doing, you'll see that the joy of the Lord is your strength. And that is the theme scripture, Nehemiah 8.10. This day is holy. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. That's where Nehemiah brought the people to. Nehemiah, and here's the, the, Jonathan, this, of all of the inspiring things that Nehemiah has done, to me, this next point is the most inspiring. What does he do? Nehemiah turns things over to the prophet Ezra as that is the appropriate action of a great leader. Because the prophet is God's representative. Nehemiah was God's handiwork. He was God's tool. But the prophet Ezra is God's representative. And now that the work is done, he hands it over to God's representative. You see, he doesn't have pride in this. He's got honor in working God's will, and he knows that the spiritual part is for Ezra. Now witness the transforming power of having your world change toward godliness. He turns it over to Ezra because the people are together. They've accomplished what is pretty much a miracle. And here's the pondering part. Nehemiah chapter 8, we're going to do verses 1 through 3. And all the people gathered as one man at the square, which was in front of the west gate. And they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Then Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. He read from it from early morning until midday, and all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So they are, and I love the way it says it, all the people gathered as one man at the square. There was such an incredible unity because they're looking back and saying, look what God has helped us to do. And the prophet Ezra reads from the book of Moses all morning long. And the people are attentive. After accomplishing what looked like a miracle by their own hands in God's providence, the people are now captivated by their God and his laws. You see, remember early, early on in the first podcast when Nehemiah was praying to God when he had the idea you know, about the broken down walls, about fixing them? He said, I know, dear Lord, I'm paraphrasing dramatically here, that, the, that you will come back to the people if the people come back to you. I'm gonna, I want to be a tool to help bring the people back to you. Help me do this through the rebuilding of the walls. The people had come back to God. They had begun to trust in God. And here, they are now listening again as a unit to the word of God. Ponder. They are pondering the value of godliness. And this is where the value of godliness is planted. It's replanted in their hearts and their minds. So that's the ponder part of the change your, your world process. You've accomplished something amazing. It's now in the hands of the spiritual leader, and the people are able to ponder that great victory which God has given them. And they ponder it not to look at it and say, hey, look at what we did. Hey, man, remember that time that you did that? And wow, what a great job you did on that part of the wall. And you should have seen the part I did. Let me come show you what I did. No, 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 no. It was about pondering God's will and God's way because they knew it was God's work. Powerful, change your world thinking. The value of godliness is planted. The next of these three points is pray. Chapter uh, Nehemiah chapter 8 Verse is um, 4 through 8. Ezra the scribe stood up at a wooden podium which they had made for the purpose, and beside him stood the priests, 
Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. Then they bowed low and worshiped the Lord and their faces to the ground. Also, the Levites explained the law to the people while the people remained in their place. They read from the book, from the law of God, translating to give the sense so they understood the reading. So again, you know, you want to just pause here and look at the, 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 the prayer response that the people had. Ezra stands up at this wooden podium, and beside him stood the priests. Now, you know, we just said stood the priests. If you look in, the, in Ezra, chap, uh, Nehemiah chapter 6, uh, Nehemiah just lists all their names. <laughs> 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 Left them out, okay? So he stands up there with this whole group, and they are unified, and they are together, and they are honoring and worshiping God. And he says, and Ezra blessed the Lord God, and all the people answered, amen, amen, while lifting up their hands, and then they bowed before God. And, you know, remember, Jonathan, several weeks ago, we did a, a, a podcast with Wes Kramer about um, the thief in paradise? Yes. Uh, and remember he was talking about the word amen, and the word verily, when Jesus says, verily I say unto you today, you will be with me in paradise? The word verily is the same word as amen. And the word verily, or the word amen, is, is going back to what has previously been said, and it's sort of verifying it. It's sort of saying, we are on board with it. And so when Ezra blessed the Lord God, the people answered and said, it doesn't say just amen once, it says it twice for, to, to, to make the point. They were, Ezra pronounced a blessing to God, and the people are all over it. They know that God is behind everything good in their lives. And they look up with this awe in their hearts. And then they bow down low with this humility of soul that says, we are, are, are humble servants of the mighty, mighty God. I, I, you know, you look at that, Jonathan, and I send shivers up my spine when I think about all of these people who were scattered and 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 leaderless and purposeless until Nehemiah brought them together and then he turns them over to Ezra after the work and he's bringing them to their spiritual end result of goodness. And that lesson is listening to God's word from your heart invokes the need and desire to pray. It does. It absolutely does. You know, you ponder, you think it through and that should bring us the need and desire to pray. And praying, now remember, the pondering was the value of godliness being planted. Praying is the value of godliness taking root. You see, our prayer life, and Nehemiah's prayer life was very obvious throughout the whole story of Nehemiah and what he did. Their, their prayer life now could help give them the same kind of roots that Nehemiah had, serving God, God only, God first, and God foremost. So we have ponder, we have pray, and next is praise. And that's Nehemiah um, uh, chapter 8, Eight. verses mm -hmm. 9 through 10. Then Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go, eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared, for this day is holy to our Lord. 
Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So what happened, Jonathan, again, you can see the sincerity that comes out because, you know, Ezra is telling them this is a holy day before God, and the people are crying, and they're weeping out loud because they're hearing the law and they're realizing how far off track they had been. And they're looking back and they're crying for their, their, their faultiness, their sin. And Ezra's saying, okay, look, I understand, but today, today is not a day to cry. Today is a day of praise. Today is a day where you, where you take in the goodness of God because he has so abundantly put it before you. And you, you, and you take it and you use it and you share it with others who don't have because this is a holy, a set-apart day for you. Don't be grieved. Stop thinking about the past. At this moment, the joy of the Lord is your strength. What's your strength? The joy of God. I mean, Jonathan, that's, Nehemiah brings him there and Ezra just takes him home. <laughs> you know, that's really that, that's really what, what happens here. So, and, and there's so much more to the story later on. Again, CQ Rewind, the bonus material. But verse 12, we'll just finish with that. All the people went away to eat, to drink, and to send portions, and to celebrate a great festival, because they understood the words which had been made known to them. So they, they did understand the words, and they took Ezra's advice, and it was a great day of joy and celebration, Ezra and the priesthood with Nehemiah's help would go on to reestablish Israel's religious identity. How did they do that? Seek your rewind. If you don't subscribe, please do. Seek your rewind for this week, especially the bonus material goes into the rest of the Nehemiah story that we just simply don't have time for here today because you know what, Jonathan? Our time is pretty much up. So folks, look. As we wrap this up, this has been a journey through the life of a leader who showed the people of Israel how to change their world by doing it first, by showing them godliness, by showing them persistence and focus and clarity, and always, always, always doing the will of God. Put that in your heart, in your mind, change your world, find a Nehemiah if you're not a Nehemiah, and work on a noble, godly Project. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, we'll be back again next week. But till then, change your world. Think about it. And folks, remember, we love hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's topic. Suggest future topics. Start a conversation with us at ChristianQuestions.com. Don't forget to get the Christian Questions app. Change the world.